You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The Read to Lead podcast, episode 79. Hi, I'm Michael Port, author of Book Yourself Solid. And if you're looking for a solid and surefire way to rapidly increase the rate of your personal and professional growth, you found it. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. The real danger that I, I often talk about is not the horrible job, it's the good enough job. Because a good enough job will woo you to sleep and you'll wake up 10 years later at a job you wanted to stay at one year. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Welcome. You found the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where each week we sit down with a successful and inspiring author and talk about their latest book and their thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, marketing, productivity, business, entrepreneurship, and more. And in today's episode, we're going to chat with John Acuff. He's the author of Do Over, Rescue Monday, Reinvent Your Work, and Never Get Stuck. I plan to ask John for help with addressing the two things that, if we're not careful, will ruin our career do-over. The idea that giving a relationship what it needs starts with identifying the type of relationship it is, walking you through the two-step process of uncovering skills you maybe didn't even know you had, and quite a bit more. The educational site lynda.com is helping make this episode possible. To take advantage of their free 10-day trial and have access during those 10 days to 100% of their video tutorials, just visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash lynda. And to enjoy the latest business books in summary form, check out Blinkist where you get access to summaries of your favorite business books in both written and audio form. To find out more, read to leadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. Recently, I asked here on the show for you to consider voting for the Read to Lead podcast at this year's 10th annual podcast awards in Las Vegas. Those awards were last week, and I'm sorry to say Read to Lead did not win, but there was some very stiff competition in that category, including several offerings from NPR like Marketplace, Planet Money, and others. Also, the Startup Podcast, The Dave Ramsey Show, Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income, several others. The eventual winner was Freakonomics Radio. So congratulations to the folks there for winning Best Business Podcast. Our hats off to them. And though we didn't win, if you helped cast a vote for the Read to Lead podcast, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for believing in what we do here and for helping us to continue doing it week after week. 
John Acuff is the author of five books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller Quitter, the New York Times bestseller Start. For 16 years, he's helped companies like Home Depot, Bose, Staples, and Autotrader.com tell their stories. He's also a well-known public speaker and a pretty good one at that. His blogs have been read by millions of humans, and his latest book is called Do Over, Rescue Monday, Reinvent Your Work, and Never Get Stuck. And we're excited to have him back on the show today. John, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again, Jeff. How long has it been since we last did our podcast together? I uh, about eighteen months, I guess, about a year and a half. Wow, it's been a fast eighteen months. <laughs> it really, really has. And you know, uh, when it comes to the new book, uh, you, you jump into this right away. It seems almost universal that you know we hate Mondays, we love Fridays. Uh, we, we've bought into this lie that you know work is supposed to be a chore. It's supposed to be miserable. How did we get here exactly? Um, I think it's a generation thing. Um, Mm. I think, you know, I'm really fascinated about the way generations are changing and how they approach work. I I talked to an executive at a fortune, I think probably fortune 100, whatever the biggest one is, (laughs) that's the type of company he was at. And they just did all this amazing research and generation edge, which is people who are 13 to 17 right now, four to five of them believe that they'll do their passion for their profession. So we're already starting to see the way they're changing with their on YouTube. They're making businesses. Kids are plugging into things. And so I think part of that's generational um, in that you just accepted that a job's just a job. It's what you have to do. It's time to grow up. It's time to be an adult. And, you know, we there's a reason Dilbert books sell millions of copies. There's a reason The Office was a popular show. There's a reason we eat at TGI Fridays, not TGI Mondays. Um, and so I don't I don't think you have to hate your job to to work on your job. I think my hope with with do-overs is that if you have a bad job, it can be good. If you have a good job, it can be great. If you have a great job, it can be awesome. And the real danger that I, I often talk about is not the horrible job, it's the good enough job. Mm. Because a good enough job will woo you to sleep. And you'll wake up 10 years later at a job you wanted to stay at one year. Um, and and a, you know, a bad attitude where we're you to sleep, we're going, okay, maybe I should just, just quit and do something else, something else, something else, and you kind of get stuck in that route versus going, you know what, I actually work at a pretty good company. Maybe there's a way for me to fix how I'm working. Uh, I've had a chance to experience that sort of thing firsthand in, in trying to you know, grow my skills and, and learn new things and then was able to see those, uh, those things tapped into uh, down the road. So I can, I can certainly attest to that. Well, and you often don't see that coming either. Um, as far as skills go, sometimes people say to me, where'd you learn how to you know, use Twitter? Where'd you learn how to write tweets? And I learned it at Home Depot. <laughs> I was a copywriter for Home Depot and I'd walk in in the morning and they'd say, we need 10 headlines about granite for the New York Times ad by noon. <laughs> And I learned how to do that. And at the time, I didn't know, someday this will really help me on Twitter. Twitter didn't exist. I couldn't have predicted that. But we carry our skills forward with us. Well, share, if you would, what you experienced, John, in those 24 hours immediately after leaving that job you called your dream job and this whole idea of a career savings account. Yeah. So in the that evening, we went to a family fun night um, at my kid's school and you know, as anybody who's a parent knows, the first thing you do at a family fun night is you go to the um, balloon animal guy or the face painting person, <laughs> um, or the state takes your kids away. <laughs> and so we did that, and the balloon animal guy, because the town I live in, Franklin, is really small. So everybody knows everybody. Everybody's famous. And so he looked at me and said, Oh, hey, I love your books. You know, and then he paused and said, Sorry about today. Best of luck in the future. Mm. 
And he was referring to that I had transitioned out of a job. And I started to notice that a lot of people seem to have this thought of, oh, no, it's going to be miserable. Transition is always horrible. And it didn't feel that way. It definitely felt scary because I think anything that matters feels scary. And there's fear involved. You know, the bigger the story, the bigger the dragon. Mm. But we felt prepared and we started to look at what life had been like the last five years. And I realized I'd been making these investments. And they were investments into what I call a career savings account, which is relationships plus skills plus character times hustle. And the problem is most of us spend 18 years getting ready for college and then we graduate and the next thing we get ready for is death and retirement. <laughs> and there's this 40-year gap where we just kind of get by. And I started to realize the relationships I'd been building for a while were the ones I needed most when I went through a career transition and the skills. And you need all four. That's, that's the funny thing about life is that nobody that's listening to this heard me say skills, relationships, character, hustle and thought, whoa, whoa, revolutionary <laughs> relationships? Like, you're going to work with humans? Get out of here. <laughs> but most of us have never applied them in that way. And you need all four because if you only have three and you're missing the fourth, it falls apart. If you have great relationships, great skills, great, great hustle but no character, you become Tiger Woods and it, it falls apart. Um, if you have great skills, great character, great hustle but no relationships, you become the emperor with new clothing. No one can tell you the truth. And leaders who can't be questioned always end up doing questionable things. And so that's what the book's about is how do you invest in your career savings? The reality is I don't know what you're going to do in 10 years, but I do know I can predict that at every job you ever had, you're going to need those four things. And your ability to invest in them gives you a lot more freedom, a lot more creativity, and a lot more runway. Between investments and savings accounts, I would say Ramsey rubbed off on you at least a little bit, right? Oh, yeah, certainly. I was listening. <laughs> well, why do you think it is, John, that so many of us neglect uh, or ignore our, our careers? You, you hinted at this a little bit, but what, what do you think some of those reasons are? Well, I think part of it is we get busy. Um, part of it is fear. Fear comes in and says, who are you to dream? Um, who are you to think you can do that? Um, I have friends that I talk to all the time that, you know, their, their parents will say, you know, everybody has to do stuff they hate. That's part of having a job. Like, you shouldn't love your job. Like, mm. art is dumb, you know, or say these, you know, we have these what I'd call a jury of fears instead of a jury of peers of people that, you know, said stuff and we, we take it to heart. Or we're, we're afraid of the work involved. It's hard work. You know, there was a part of me that I thought once I stepped out of my own, now it's just time to do amazing things I love forever. And I was overwhelmed with how many little things and big things I had to do that were hard and new and challenging. So I think sometimes it's really tempting to take the easy way out um, and we get kind of stuck. Now, I, I first had the chance to, to hear John talk about and unpack a part of the book at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center about a month ago. And uh, though simple on one hand, uh, just it's very fascinating to just see the awesomeness that is the do-over chart. And so I was wondering if maybe you could, you could unpack that for us a little bit. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll try my best to do through the magic of radio and podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't have the, the benefit of those visual aids. but Yeah, so, so there's only really two types of change you have to deal with in life. Um, sometimes life feels complicated, overwhelming, but there's really only two types. The first type, if you imagine a vertical line, like a vertical up and down line, and at the top of the line is the word voluntary, and at the bottom, the other end of the spectrum is involuntary. So a voluntary change is when you recognize something needs to be changed and you actively, willingly do it. And involuntary is when a change happens to you. So from a career perspective, 
let's use gra- let's lose, use a designer as an example because we live in Nashville. There's a lot of designers, and it reminds me of the graphic designer I met who said, "John, there was a point where I realized that if I didn't understand how to design for the internet and the web, I was going to become a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. My industry was going to leave me behind. I was going to become irrelevant." So he took a class, he read a book, he plugged into an online design community, and he made a voluntary change. Contrast that with the other designer. A friend of mine worked with an industrial designer who was amazing at sketching plans by hand, but eventually his company came and said, hey, we've got this new thing called AutoCAD. We need you to learn it. And he said, no, 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 I'm better than AutoCAD. I'm faster than AutoCAD. (laughs) But eventually he wasn't, and he lost his job, and an involuntary change happened to him. Now, the challenge, Jeff, is that not every voluntary is good. Not every involuntary is bad. Mm. We've all voluntarily gone to the wrong job for years. We've all had friends voluntarily date idiots longer than they should have. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've had good involuntary things happen. You've had a relationship that you hadn't talked to in three years call you up and say, hey, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I think you might be perfect for this job. You came to mind and Mm. something involuntary that was good happened. So you have to add another line. And that other line goes horizontally through the center. So imagine a big plus symbol in your head. And that line goes from the left, negative, all the way to the right, positive. And when you do that, you start to see that there's these four kind of do-over moments you'll have to face in your career. And it's really, what's fun is that they're true of just life in general. You know, a voluntary change could be in a marriage, you and your wife realize things could be better and you want them to be better, so you go to counseling and you work on it. And involuntary is you hide and pretend nothing's wrong. And one day she walks out and there is an involuntary change. And so what happens is you have these four do-over moments and the the upper left, if you're looking at a clock, imagine 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock. That upper left corner mm. is a negative, voluntary moment. And that's when you're willingly going toward a stuck place. That's what I call a ceiling. And you're, you're stuck. And that could be 70% of Americans who are dissatisfied with work but don't do anything to change it. Um, that can happen to companies. I, the New York Times in this great article asked, why didn't Kodak create Instagram? Why didn't Polaroid create Instagram? And they didn't because companies get stuck. They start with innovation and risk, but then if it goes well, they move into protection mode. Mm. They start to protect themselves. And I can get stuck. I mean, right now, I'm in a place place where I asked a bunch of high schoolers, because I'm a blogger, I said, raise your hand if you read blogs, and none of them raised their hand. (laughs) And so for me to blog and communicate the same way over and over again, while the next generation says that might not be the medium we care about the most, I could get stuck there. And I was stuck at AutoTrader. I was 32, great company. But at 32, I was a senior content designer. And there was no super duper senior content designer position for me to go to. Mm. I was done on that ladder. I'd hit the ladder. I was pressed up against the ceiling. Now, imagine the next moment. The next moment is the bottom left, which would go from 6 o'clock on a clock all the way to 9 o'clock. And that's what you call a bump because it's a negative. Remember, on the far left side, we got negative. And the bottom, we've got involuntary. So it's a negative involuntary moment you've experienced. And that's what I call a bump. You lost your job. Another company bought your company and eliminated your position. Or maybe it's something smaller but still still painful. You know, a manager recruited you. You had a supporter. You had a super fan. And they brought you to a new company. And then your first month, that manager left to another company. And you find yourself vulnerable. And you've gone through a bump moment. Now, on the right side of the, of the chart, the upper side from 12 to 3, the upper right corner is what I call a jump. It's when you do something positive and voluntary. 
you move to a new city. I mean, good grief, Jeff. Nashville is a jump city, isn't it? It's full of people who have jumped here to try something. Mm. You read a book, you listen to a podcast, you take a class, you start a blog, you say, I'm going to do something positive and voluntary to change my life. And then the last do-over moment you experience is the bottom right-hand corner, which goes from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. And that's what I call an opportunity. That's something awesome, something positive that was unexpected, something out of your control that happened. I, I met a CEO in Benton Harbor, Michigan of a bank, and I said, how'd you become CEO? And he said, well, I was working for a few years as a teller, and then my manager got arrested for counterfeiting checks. And her job opened up. Now, do you think in his five-year plan, he wrote down, work really hard for three years, and I hope at the end of year three, somebody goes to jail for five to seven for counterfeiting checks and a position opens up? Of course not. That's why when people tell me their five-year plan, I just think, that is adorable. Like, you think that's what's going to happen. That is so great. Um, that's so optimistic, you know. And so... Life would be amazing if we could only go through the right side of the chart, only make really amazing decisions, like wicked awesome decisions. We're eating kale, like we're doing it, we're doing great decisions, or <laughs> we're experiencing awesome surprises. But you and I both know that's not how life works, that's not how a career works. You're going to go through all of those do over moments. So the book is really about how do you navigate them, and you navigate them with the career savings account because one of those investments is something you need in each of those do-over moments. I once worked at a radio station where the only way I realized I was going to move up was if the elderly general manager died, and then the elderly general manager died, and so I was able to move up. True story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Promotion through death. And, and I mean, but it can be like I've seen places where somebody's fallen in love and they moved to another city, and that mm. position opened up. And again, you didn't control that. You know, and so that's why I try to, it's, it's a balance and you walk through all four. And I mean, some of your listeners right now, especially if they're business owners, like a small business owner, you went through all four of those do-over moments by nine o'clock this morning. Like before the first coffee had set in, you were like, yep, 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 <laughs> yep. And so it's not about avoiding them. It's about really kind of leaning in them and, and figuring out how to navigate them. Well, if you are attempting to navigate some do-over moments, maybe you've determined that some additional training is in your future. If that's the case, then I can think of no better place to begin that training than with a site like lynda.com. They're a sponsor of the Read to Lead podcast, and they're offering to you as a listener to this show the chance to have access to 100% of their video tutorials absolutely free for 10 days. Whatever skill it is you're looking to master, chances are lynda.com has a course just for you. Maybe you want to learn to be assertive, or maybe you're trying to bootstrap your business, or you just want to get better at getting things done, then you should consider a membership to lynda.com. Again, you can try it risk-free for 10 days, absolutely free, just by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, lynda.com is the place to do that with that free 10-day trial. One more time, that address is readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. Well, at this point, John, I think it's important we address the two things that you say, if we're not careful, will ruin our uh, career do-over. What are, what are those two things? Yeah, the, the two things, and I, I made it chapter two because I really, you know, understand that people are busy. Like, I, I want to believe that everybody reads every page and takes copious notes and then does like a book report on it. Um, but the second chapter is about the two things, and the two things are your attitude and your expectations. Um, and I encourage people to choose your attitude and adjust your expectations. 
And by choose your attitude, I, I mean, don't try to change it right away. I mean, that's exhausting. Changing your attitude can take years, but each day we get the choice. We get to choose that I'm going to work as hard as I can today, even if it's a job I don't love. I'm going to pay attention to my boss in a meeting. Um, I'm going to treat customers like they're not a nuisance. They're the reason I have a job. And I'm going to choose that. And you choose your attitude until one day it chooses you right back. Uh, Because nothing will wreck a job as fast as a bad attitude. The second thing is adjust your expectations. I think a lot of times we bring some secret expectations into jobs. We think, okay, you know, for me, it, it just reminds me of working at certain companies where I wanted to be a creative writer. And I would get really mad that they weren't asking me to be a creative writer until I realized they hadn't hired me to be a creative writer. They had hired me to be a technical writer, to write, you know, descriptions of how to fill out forms. <laughs> they weren't, you know, and, and you have to adjust that. And expectations is a weird thing. I had, um, it was uh, one of the guys from Car Talk, and I put this in the book, said that happiness is reality minus expectations. But I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe that's true because what that's saying is the, the way to be happy is to not have any expectations. But an expectation to me is about hope. It's about dreaming. It's about a vision for the future. So I think we're supposed to have wild, big expectations. I just think we're supposed to be adjusting them to where we actually are. And if we don't like where we actually are, we get the power to kind of choose that and change that. I want to take a few minutes, John, to dig a little bit deeper into each of the uh, career investment areas. John, by the way, uh, dedicates a section of the book to each of these with several chapters to each. So let's start with uh, relationships. You make the assertion that we can't give a relationship what it needs if we don't know what type of relationship it is. And the good news is it's not complicated, but uh, describe for us the three categories that our work relationships tend to fall into. Yeah, they're, they're pretty simple. There's foes, there's friends, and there's advocates. And a foe is just someone that makes your dream, your job difficult. And I think we have this kind of weird hater culture that I've, I've, I've contributed to in a bad way, mm. um, if I'm being honest, where we've over-labeled people haters. Um, and part of that's narcissism. Like the idea that there's something like you're so important, there's somebody that hates your dream. <laughs> um, so I think we have to be careful about what a foe really is because a, a foe can be somebody who criticizes it. So it can be somebody that says, Jeff's podcast is horrible and writes mm. a diatribe on it. Mm. But a foe can also be somebody you think is your friend, but they ask really dangerous, painful questions. Um, I saw on this, on this Instagram account, Humans in New York, this girl had brought up the point about the word still. And what happens is people come up and say, hey, are you still doing that podcast? Are you still doing photography? And the word still is small, but it's painful because it chips away and says, because it's clearly a failure, because it's dumb to chase that. Are you still doing that? And so, Foes can come in a lot of different sizes. And what I encourage people to do with foes is give them what they need most, which is distance. Um, foes are sticky. They, you know, the, the people that criticize us tend to get our best time, our best creativity, and our best energy. And I think we need to put some distance between where we are and where they are. The second one, friends, we need friends. Um, and, and part of the book talks about the power of casual friendships, or what I call boomerang relationships. Mm. Where the relationship didn't end, they just went off into the distance, and you don't know when it's going to come back. You don't know when that, you know, you'll work with that person again, um, you'll be in relationship with them again. And so, just the idea of being deliberate about our friendships. And the problem is, a lot of times we think being deliberate means being manipulative. Like, we, I, myself included, we hate the word networking. 
Like it sounds so sleazy. It sounds like you're going to be in a, you know, Marriott ballroom while somebody throws business cards at your face and tries to monopolize your time. But that's not what I mean. I, I mean, be friends with people, you know, be connected in a community. Um, when you go through a bump, which was that negative involuntary moment, you'll need your relationships. That's what you need the most there. If you want to figure out who your friends are, go through a negative unexpected moment. And the people you thought would run to you often disappear. And the people you didn't know even knew you existed are the ones who show up because of your relationships. And the last one, advocates. difference between a friend and an advocate is a friend is someone you share your day with. An advocate is someone you shape your career with. We need mentors. Maybe you'd like to use the word mentor instead of advocate. Mm. We need people that are ahead of us. And we, um, we have this tool, the careersavingsaccount.com, where it's 12 fun questions that give you a quick look at your career. And 63% of the people who have filled it out, we've had about, I think, 3,300 people. 63% of them didn't have a mentor. They didn't have an advocate, somebody ahead of them. And so I really believe that we need people that are 10 years ahead of us to tell us what really matters. Mm. You know, when I have, I'm 39. When I have a 49-year-old writer say, hey, I've been where you are, and these five things I thought were the most important things, they weren't. This one thing was. That gives me a shortcut that gives me kind of a hack, if you will. Um, and I think that's important. And we need people that will tell us the truth. And so that's, that's kind of how I look at relationship. And the book is full of helping you figure out what relationships you're currently in and what they need and how to build more. I've had people ask me, Jeff, who, who listens to your show? And oftentimes my answer to that is it's, it's me five years ago or it's me 10 years ago, trying, trying to help those who were at that place I was, trying to search for who I was and reading the right books and that sort of thing. Exactly. John, when it comes to skills, you say that we have more than we think. So, so walk us through uh, this two-step exercise designed to, to help us uncover skills we maybe haven't thought of. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of times the things we're good at, we have a hard time recognizing or we discount them. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I meet so many people that I have this conversation with. I, a couple of days ago, um, met somebody who'd been a flight attendant for 20 years mm. and she had to realize and recognize that one of her skills was interacting with people. She had had probably 10,000 interactions with different people in different situations from all walks of life. So for her going forward, as she looks for other roles or other jobs, she has tremendous people skills that she can build on. And so I think a lot of times we forget how to recognize what skills we have. So I encourage you with this note card exercise because I'm a big believer in the power of writing things down because scientifically it's so much better for you. Um, is to ask a couple questions. What are you good at? Um, and forget humility in this moment. No, nobody's nobody's <laughs> watching this except you. You don't have to fake it. Um, what comes naturally? I call these kind of the oh this skill. You know, where it's something you're good at that you think everybody else has and we don't have it. Mm. What do people pay you to do? Um, what are you afraid of? And that's a counterintuitive one, but the reality is sometimes the thing we're most passionate about, the skill we have, terrifies us. Writing is a scary process to me because I love it so much and I want to be good at it. And so sometimes I'm afraid of it. And then, a, you know, simple kind of a smaller question would be if you wrote an ebook, what would the topic be? Let's say tomorrow that. You know, you lose your job, you've lost all your money. The only way to kind of save things is to create a quick, short ebook explaining how to do something to somebody else. What would the topic be? Mm. Let's say it was a trilogy. You had to do three different books. What would the topic be? And so my hope with an exercise like that is I kind of smoke out some of those skills that 
might have been hidden or you might have been discounting because they come naturally. So that's the first part. The second part is you start to look for patterns. You start to say, wow, you know, these four skills are related. These are, these are things that, you know, I'm really good at. I, I met an optometrist um, in Houston and she had sent these handmade dolls to my children. And my wife is a crafter and she said, John, you don't understand how good these are. And she started to show me the details and just how precise they were. And when I met her, she told me she was an optometrist. And of course, she's great at precision. She deals with the eye, like this amazing little machine. And sure, of course, those things are related. That was a skill. She's detailed and precise. And so she would recognize those patterns. You know, I wrote five note cards down and four of them are about precision and detail and organization. The next thing I do, I should look for some of that in it so that I bring that skill forward. That's my, that's my hope with this is that these four things that you're developing, you'll always need at whatever job you end up at. There'll never be a job where they go, ah, oh, we wish you had less character. <laughs> um, and so that's what I mean by that skills exercise. Yeah, and in this section uh, on character, you, you dedicate a chapter to generosity. Uh, share why you think generosity matters so much to our career. And I, I know this specifically you mentioned is an area that, that you sometimes struggle with personally. Yeah, I think, I think generosity uh, can be a game changer um, because I think it's so important relationally. Um, in, a different, in, a, you know, in addition to all the things that it does for you that being generous does, um, you know, as far as it loosens your hand on things, it, it helps you not try to control things, you know, and kind of suffocate them. But I think from a career perspective, it's, it's really important because the thing is people never forget your greed. Greed is one of those things that people remember. And, and there was a great story that I read by this guy, Roy H. Williams, um, this marketing writer, brilliant guy. And he basically was in a business transaction and the other person kept asking for more and more and trying to take and take and take. And finally, he could tell that the other person was getting frustrated and said, okay, okay, fine. I just want to make sure I wasn't leaving anything on the table. And Roy Williams argues, there's times in life when you should leave things on the table. If you want to work with that person again, if you want to have a long-term relationship, you need to be generous. And sometimes we hustle so fast like, because the last idea is hustle. And we live in this culture where that is just, that word's been ruined um, <laughs> by people that are posting like things Abraham Lincoln did not say on top of Lamborghini photos and saying, every day I'm hustling on Instagram. And it's just this gross thing. And so we need character to temper our hustle because sometimes we roll over people in the name of hustle, or sometimes we become transactional in the name of hustle. And we need generosity to step in and go, no, we're, we're going to give more than is expected. And we're going to create relationships where we serve people. And that's the long-term play. The short-term play is try to get everything you can, burn out the relationship, create whole, you know, shells of people as you roll through them. The long-term, for me, smart thing to do, the character thing to do, is to build relationships that are based on generosity. So this career savings account we've talked about, we've, we've touched on relationships, skills, and character. We then multiply those by, by hustle. And, and John says this is when fear can really start to creep in. John, what are the two questions that our fear is most likely to prompt at, at this point? Yeah, fear is funny how it, it, it does tend to wait for certain moments mm. where it, it'll give you some space, um, and you'll think, okay, you know, like things are moving along and then you try to kind of step out and it gets really loud. And the first question is, what if I don't have what it takes? Like, what if I don't have what it takes? And the, the real danger of that question is that we never define it. 
<laughs> we never stop and go, okay, what, is, what does that mean? What is the it I'm talking about? Um, I had a friend of mine, Kyle Chowning, who I'm in a mastermind with, really challenged me on this kind of idea. And um, this was about six months ago. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm nervous about the book launch. And I said, I'm really nervous. And he said, well, what's your goal? You know, which is him asking me to define it. He said, what's your goal? I said, I want it to go well and do great. And he said, well, that is a terrible goal. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, you're a perfectionist. Your, your drug of choice is failure. And so you never want to define the goal so you can just constantly keep failing. And he said, let's define what that goal is. And that's what I encourage people. Like, let's define it. Because fear, doesn't, fear wants you to remain vague. And so if we can stop for a second and say, okay, what is it? Um, what's the thing I don't think I have? Um, why am I pretending everybody else has that thing? Like whenever somebody, you know, and part of it is Instagram and social media makes everybody look like they've got their whole lives put together. And you think, okay, everybody else has it. I don't have it. And so that's the first question is how do you kind of, you know, sit there and, and break apart that? The second question is what if I pick the wrong thing to hustle on and I miss my opportunity? Mm. Um, and we believe in kind of this once in a lifetime opportunity uh, mentality. And I remember talking to a 23-year-old entrepreneur and he said, John, we've got these, these opportunities lining up. I've really got to jump at them because they're once in a lifetime. And I said, I sure hope not. You're 23. Like what a horrible life the rest of your life's going to be. Like you're done at 23, you have 50 years of work left, which I guess is just, a, you'll just be reminiscing about that moment at 23. <laughs> and so I think we sometimes put a lot of pressure on picking the wrong thing. And then the other thing is you don't, you're so fast to judge it's the wrong thing when it hasn't even developed yet. Mm. You know, where we try something, we launch it. I talked to a friend today. It's so funny that you asked this question. I talked to a friend today who had a wildly, wildly successful 30-day launch of a course online. Mm. Just absolutely crushed it. Quarter million dollars in sales mm. um, in 30 days. Awesome. Life-changing. And the first week, the first three or four days were horrible. Horrible. Mm. Everything crashed. He had told his whole tribe, this is the thing, and everything crashed. The site crashed. Nothing worked well. No sales were coming in. He said, I wanted to stop. And I think sometimes we live in this culture where we give our dreams an hour to, to kind of to kind of develop, we give them a week, we give them a month, whatever. And then we go, ah, it's a failure. Pick the wrong thing, it's a failure. And so for me, I, I try to remind people, one, picking the wrong thing is weird because it could turn into the right thing. I didn't know at Home Depot that doing that job, which at times I was frustrated about, would help me later on in the way I tweet about the books I write. Like that, there's a direct correlation between those things. I learned that skill. Um, so you don't know it's the wrong thing. You don't really know until hindsight. And two, you get to learn. And I'm not one of these guys that's like, failure is the best way to learn. No, experience is. And you sometimes get experience through failure. You sometimes get it through success. Um, and three, like give it time to develop. Um, I think the thing for me, like I spent four years learning journalism in college. And then I worked for 16 years, 15 years on top of that before I became a full-time author. Mm. So it was a 20-year road. So it's so much easier to go like, ah, oh, it's overnight, it's instance. And sometimes people like me and other authors and speakers or whoever's doing the thing you want to do, they contribute to this problem. Because what do we post? We post the like, picture of our office that day when it's a beach overlooking you know, <laughs> the horizon. We go, here's the office. And we never post like, it's, it's 2 a.m. 
and you're trying to sleep at the Baltimore airport, but the chairs all have armrests, so you can't lay across them, and you missed your flight, and you nobody came to the event, and like nobody shows that. We show the after because two things happen. We want we think that's how you inspire people. Like I gotta make it look like it's awesome, so I inspire them. <laughs> or you're trying to sell them how you did it, and so you're selling a product, and so you create this facade, and then it cr- contributes to the idea that it's going to happen overnight. And so, you know, those are the things that I push back on fear with. And it, they still get loud for me, but I still keep pushing back on them. Well, I, I think I asked you this 18 months ago, but in that time, John, what are a, a couple of books that are pushing your buttons this time around? Yeah, um, What to Do When It's Your Turn mm. by Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, my good grief. <laughs> um, I mean, Godin's just a genius. He is. It really, <laughs> his stuff really, really challenges me. Um, I like that. I like that one a lot. I'm looking at my bookshelf while I'm, while I'm talking. Um, <laughs> Leaders Eat Last, mm-hmm. um, Simon Sinek's um, latest book. I think he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, I loved, I continue to love The Power of Habit, um, Charles Duhigg's book yeah. about the habits, the habits we keep. And then what's been interesting is in the last, probably in the last year, I've started to read books slower. Okay. It's kind of sometimes culture is like churn through as many books as possible. But mm-hmm. for me to get something out of it, it takes time. Like it takes me being deliberate. So I've started, it's, I've actually started to kind of slow down some of my reading so that I, you know, I try to read less books that are better, if that makes sense. Less books come up, but better books. And this is probably as good a time to mention as any that of Do Over, Seth Godin said it's the best career book ever written. So when you got that back from him, did, did you, you know, sort of pee your pants a little? Or what oh, exactly? without a doubt, dude. I went crazy. <laughs> I went crazy. Of course I did. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, that is like, he's been kind and endorsed another one of my books. And so I was hoping that he would endorse this one. But for him to say that with that clarity and that certainty was just such an awesome fun thing and my wife and i i mean i still i still look at it like i'm looking at the cover of the book right now and i'm like how in the world did that happen (laughs) like that is so yeah it's i i'm blown away by that and and he's for me like you talk about leading with honesty and generosity and and insight um i think we're all just like at least guys in my space girls in my space Mm. are trying do what Seth Godin does um, and has done for 20 years. He, he started me on, down on this path of just developing this love for reading with, with Purple Cow some 12 or 13 years ago, and it's, it's in large part why I do this, this podcast. So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. John, obviously you love to speak. You're fantastic at it. I've seen you speak a couple of times live, and you're as good as anybody I've ever seen. Oh, thanks. Uh, what are some tips for delivering a meaningful and memorable public talk? What, what, what are your goals? What do you strive to do? Uh, I strive to connect with the audience. Um, the moment you step on stage, there's a gap that, that develops between you and the audience. And that, like, you're the one the light's on. You're the one with the microphone. You're the one talking. And so I try to connect with the audience. Um, I try to be honest with them. I think um, old school leadership said, you know, if I share my weaknesses, people won't trust my strengths. I think new school says, if I pretend I don't have weaknesses, they won't trust my strengths. So I try to be honest. Um, I try to have fun with it. Laughter really matters to me. Um, and so I, I try to make an audience laugh. Um, I try to, I'm, I'm really trying to focus on writing the ending with as much focus as the beginning because it's really tempting as a speaker to write a really solid opener and then kind of let the end kind of develop organically as you finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm learning things like that. Um, 
I'm learning, you know, transitions. Like, how do I transition between ideas? And there's little things. Like, I don't know if I'll ever do a book on public speaking, but I do love to talk about the nuances with people. And I'm not, I've only done it for, I don't know, seven years or so. So I'm by no means an expert at it. Um, but I've, I've been fortunate to learn from other folks. And so just little things like ask everybody how much time you have to speak. Like ask multiple people. Cause I just like three weeks ago, I saw somebody that the back room told him he had 95 minutes and the front of the house only gave him 60. Mm. So in the middle of the speech, it ended mm. because his time was up. And so that's one of those little things that if you're going to be a speaker, be super clear on how much time do I really have on stage mm. and have fun with it. Like people can tell when you're not having fun with it yeah. um, and they know. And when you're being dishonest, audiences can read fakeness and kind of posture and, you know, from a, from a million miles. And for me, I try to do it a couple times before I actually give it live, but not to have it perfect because I got into a space. And I think I put this in another book where I was rehearsing so much that it sounded rehearsed and it sounded fake. Yeah. And people, some people called me out on it. And that wasn't fun to hear. Uh, but you know what? They are right. And so now I try to – I had this guy, Lanny Donahoe, say to me, you know, the best parts of a speech are when they happen for both you and the audience at the same time. And that takes a lot of bravery. Like that's not easy. But man, is that fun when it does where you get to, you know, I, I spoke to a group of real estate agents um, on Monday and I got to say to them, I was talking about the feeling of failure and like going to an event where nobody showed up. And I got to say to them, like, you've done that before where you have an open house and you have to do like the Rice Krispie Treat Walk of Shame <laughs> where you bring like snacks for 800 people and four show up and you have to carry all those failure snacks right back to the car. <laughs> like, I didn't plan to say that. Like, that happened in the moment and it was yeah. one of my favorite moments that day because they like... Mm. Will I ever get to use that joke again? Maybe not. Like maybe I'll speak to other real estate agents and get to say that. But for that moment, we both experienced it, and it was really funny. Um, and so those are some of my my tips about speaking. Well, John, we're excited about the book. Thank you too, just for taking time to to make time for the podcast and to share with us a bit about it. Uh, I really think uh, between the equation and the do over chart, you, you've you've got a couple of really cool mechanisms there for helping spread this far and wide. And and I'm I'm really look, uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with it. Oh, thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate you uh, continuing to to be a supporter and continuing to give me such great podcast opportunities like this. Be sure and reach out to John on Twitter. Let him know what you thought of our conversation. He's at John Acuff on Twitter. That's at J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. For more on the books and other resources we talked about today, you can find links to all of them at the page created on our website just for this episode. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 079. To keep the podcast going strong, visit our sponsors, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda and readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. Ratings and reviews of the podcast help get the podcast noticed, and we're very thankful for each and every one that we get, so much so that if you think the show is five-star worthy and leave a rating and written review so we know who you are, we'll be sure to mention you by name in an upcoming episode of the podcast. To leave your rating and review right now, one of two ways to do that, readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. Well, that does it for another week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.